And Lord, we pray now for your spirit to come and instruct us. Take the centuries-old words that were penned by a man named Luke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We pray you take them, Lord, and that you would instruct us. We pray that every person here, by the time the sermon is over, would know who Jesus is and would bow to his lordship today. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. There are many important questions that we will ask throughout our lifetime, aren't there? We will ask ourselves questions like, should I go to college or not? And if I should, which one should I choose? Should I get married? And if I should get married, who should I marry? Where should I live? What church should I belong to? What ministry should I get involved with? So those are all important life questions, but the question that Jesus asked his disciples this day was far more important than any question that we'll ever ask ourselves. This question is so important because it will determine your eternal destiny. You cannot be wrong about Jesus and be saved from your sin. It's absolutely vital that we get this question right. And one of the sad things that occurs to me is that I, I look around and I talk to people and it's so sad that many people never give this question any thought at all. Have you ever met people like that? They don't want to give this question any thought. They want to ignore the question or avoid the question as much as they possibly can. And if spiritual things come up, they want to kind of race to get away from it because somehow they know intuitively that if they embrace Jesus Christ for who the Bible claims that he is, that's going to mean some change in their life. And they're not quite ready to embrace change. And so they try to skirt the issue as much as they possibly can. But I want to beg you this morning to honestly face the question that Jesus asked and deal honestly with it today. Because heaven and hell are determined by how you embrace this question. Now, some people think this is an extremely difficult question to get right. Boy, who is Jesus? I, I went on YouTube this week and I was watching a bunch of different people that would go out to universities and they would interview people and they'd ask them, who is Jesus Christ? And you would be surprised. There was almost as many answers as there were people that they interviewed. And if you would ask some highfalutin theologians who Jesus is, you know, you'd get this response and this response and that answer. And you come away thinking, wow, the Bible must sure be vague and ambiguous about this question because nobody seems to know or nobody agrees with anybody else as to who he is. But I, I don't believe that's true. I believe the Bible is extremely clear on this question. It's not ambiguous whatsoever. And then if we have an honest and humble heart, we can simply open the scriptures, read the words, and receive the truth of that answer. God has been good to, to tell us very clearly the answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? But if you were to go around and ask different people, who is Jesus, and you asked an atheist or an agnostic, they may say something like, well, I'm not really sure. He may have been a real historical figure who taught some good things, but that's about it. If you asked a Mormon, they may say, well, Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. He was created by the Heavenly Father. He came down to the earth. He lived a holy life full of good works. He died for the sins of mankind. And then he became a god. 
If you ask a Jehovah's Witness, they would say something like, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. He's the first and greatest creation of God. There was a definite time in which he came into existence. If you asked a person that was involved in the Unification Church, the followers of Sun Young Moon, some people call them the Moonies, they would say, well, Jesus was a human just like you and I, although he perfectly understood what God wanted. He failed in his mission. God wanted him to get married and have the perfect family, so he failed in that mission, and he was not raised bodily from the dead. If you asked a Unitarian who Jesus was, they would say, well, Jesus was one of many important moral religious teachers who taught us how to live. However, we don't believe he was born of a virgin, we don't believe he was God, and we don't believe he was ever raised from the dead. If you asked a Muslim who Jesus was, they would say Jesus was a great prophet, but he was a man and nothing more. He is not the Savior of the world, and he is certainly not the Son of God. If you asked a Hindu who Jesus was, a Hindu may say many things, but I'll give you one variety. A Hindu may say, Jesus is one of the many gods we may worship. He is an incarnation of the god Vishnu. We respect Jesus as a good teacher and the founder of Christianity. If you ask students at a local university who Jesus was, they may say something like this, well, Jesus is just a mythical figure who never had any historical existence. Other students might say that he existed, he was a good moral teacher, but he was certainly not the Son of God. So you see how confused this world is when it comes to this point, which is so clearly given to us in Holy Scripture, it makes me wonder how in the world did everybody get so confused over this issue. I think part of the reason is that many people won't allow the Bible to be their authority. And so they turn to other so-called holy books like the Koran or the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price. Or they look to college professors or movie star figures or what someone says on television to come up with their answer of who Jesus is. It's sad that there is such confusion over this issue. But Jesus said to the Father one day in prayer, He said, Father... Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus Christ himself believed that the word of God was truth. So we're going to base what we believe about Jesus, and I hope you will, I'm going to do this, on what the scriptures reveal him to be. Now, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to find that Luke keeps emphasizing this very question that we're going to be talking about this morning. This isn't the first time that the identity of Jesus keeps coming up. Over in Luke 5.21, after the man was, the paralytic was let down through the roof and Jesus healed him, and then Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this man? Or in Luke 7.49, after Jesus forgives the immoral woman who washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. It says, Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And then in chapter 8, verse 25, after Jesus stands up in a raging sea, or a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, and he calms the storm, the disciples, it says, were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? 
Or in Luke 9, verse 9, Herod begins to ask himself some questions. And he says, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? Do you hear that refrain? Who is this man? Who can he be? Who is this person doing these things? Everybody's asking the same question. Now, the disciples had been with Jesus for a little over two years at this time. And the Lord had allowed them to gradually grow in their understanding of him. But he finally presses the question, it's time for final exam. Okay, who am I? Who do you say that I am? And he presses for a decision here. Now, before we get into the specifics of these two questions that Jesus asked on that day, we need to see the setting. And that's in verse 18. The Bible says, It happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? So it was while Jesus was praying alone that he came to them with this particular question. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, before Jesus does anything really important or really significant, you find him praying. Seven times in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to find Jesus praying alone. And often, before something really vital takes place, Jesus is off by himself praying. Remember back in chapter 6, Jesus was going to choose his 12 apostles? He spent the whole night in prayer preceding that. Or, later on when he's going to feed the 5,000, he lifts his eyes up to heaven and he prays to his Father. Or later on, before he goes to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he pours out his soul in prayer to the Father. Well, here we have one just such occasion. Jesus is praying alone because, and this should be a clue to us, because something really important is about to take place. He's going to ask the most important question that you and I will ever face. Now, he asks two questions. The first question is just to set them up for the second question. The question he really wants to know an answer to is the second one, but to get there, he starts with the first question. So let's begin with the first question he asks. Who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Now, we have to realize that everyone in Israel was buzzing with excitement because of this new miracle worker that was in their midst. And that's why everybody was asking, who then is this? Who can he be? I mean, this was big, big news. Miracle workers didn't come along that often. And here, well, they hadn't been a prophet for 400 years. And here comes Jesus. They thought he was at least a prophet. And he was working miracles like Elijah. So they're just wondering who in the world he could be. There are all kinds of opinions that were circulating at that time. Now, interestingly, Herod, if you go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 7, people had come to Herod and reported to him the opinions of what the people thought about Jesus. It says there in Luke 9, 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. So Herod heard the exact same theories about who Jesus was that the disciples reported to Jesus. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. First of all, some of the people of Jesus' day thought that he was John the Baptist. Now that seems really crazy, doesn't it? Because we read in the Bible that 
John baptized Jesus. So how they could be the same person, I don't know. And besides that, there were really different kinds of people. <laughs> Think about John for a minute. He was an ascetic. He lived off in the desert by himself. He was a recluse. He wore strange clothing, camel's hair with a belt tied around it. And he ate strange food, locusts and honey he could find out in the desert. So he was off by himself, wearing strange clothes, eating a strange diet, kind of a, a different kind of guy. He also had taken a Nazarite vow so he didn't cut his hair, so his hair would have been extremely long and his beard would have been probably down to here or so, you know, one of those guys. So he's a wild-looking kind of a man. Now, Jesus, on the contrary, grew up in a normal household. He became a carpenter later on and lived as a carpenter. When he began his ministry, he wasn't a recluse. He was a people person. He loved to be with people. He was at feasting here and feasting there all the time. He would go to scribes and Pharisees' homes for dinner, and he would go to prostitutes and tax collectors' homes for dinner. He didn't care. He was just among the people, serving them. So he was a socialite. He dressed normally, according to what the normal dress of the Jews were of that day. He ate the food that other Jews ate. So he was more of a normal-looking, normal-acting kind of a Jewish person. So how they could confuse Jesus with John is a little bit difficult to understand until you begin to think, okay, these guys are second cousins. And they're almost the exact same age. John is only six months older than Jesus. Do you suppose they may have looked kind of like each other? And do you suppose, well, there's, there's a point in John's ministry he was extremely popular, but there was a point when he just sort of disappeared. And some people were speculating, maybe Herod arrested him. Some people are even saying that Herod had him beheaded. And others didn't believe that. They thought, no, we don't know where he's at, but we don't think he's arrested or beheaded. In fact, if John were to trim his beard and cut his hair, I bet he would look just like this man over here, this Jesus who's doing incredible things and speaking the word of God incredibly. And so I can kind of understand how some people would think, yeah, Jesus, maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's just cut his, his hair and he looks different now. And, and so they got that impression. Some people thought that he had been raised from the dead. So this would have been the crowd that thought he was actually beheaded, but he had come back to life. So this was one of the opinions circulating. There was another opinion that he was Elijah. Now, why in the world would anyone think that Jesus was Elijah? Well, do you remember how Elijah's days on earth ended back in the Old Testament? Yeah, he, he didn't die a natural death, did he? He was taken by a chariot of fire and escorted into heaven. I mean, of all the ways to go to heaven, that's a pretty cool way to go. Wow. So he didn't die a natural death. And to top that off, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, says this. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there was this promise in their scriptures that Elijah was going to come back. In fact, often at a Jewish Passover, a family would leave an extra chair uh, vacant because they were hoping Elijah was going to come and sit down in that chair. He was going to come back to Israel. And so the people are thinking, well, maybe he's Elijah. Elijah never died. They said he was coming back. Elijah did all kinds of miracles. He called down fire from heaven. He raised the, the son of a widow from death. He, he was able to multiply the meal and the cruise of oil for this widow woman. 
He does things a lot like Jesus. Maybe Jesus is actually Elijah come back. And then there were those who said, no, he's one of the prophets. Did you notice in every case, they're thinking that Jesus is a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. One of the prophets. That's who he must be. He must be a prophet. And they would probably come to that conclusion because Jesus was such a powerful preacher. He spoke the word of God. He spoke as never did any man speak. And so, yes, he's just got to be one of the prophets. What I want you to see here is that it is common for people to arrive at the wrong conclusion about Jesus. The people of Jesus' day came to the wrong conclusion. They were all confused. They were mixed up. And they had it dead wrong. They had it partly right, though. They said he's a prophet. And Jesus was a prophet. But he was more than a prophet. And to believe only part of the truth is to, to be fully wrong in the end. We must embrace Jesus for all of who he is. And the same is too, true today, isn't it? It is common for people to arrive at the wrong conclusion about Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be. The Bible is extremely clear about it. But people don't really want to honestly investigate the scriptures because they know it's going to require that they make changes in their life. Now, how important is it for someone to get this right? How important? Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. The first is John 8, 23 and 24. This is Jesus speaking to the Jews of his day. He said, you are from below. I am from above. In other words, I'm not like you. I'm different. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Did you see that Jesus is saying that unless you believe something about me, you will die in your sins. And what happens to a person who dies in their sins? They go to everlasting judgment and punishment in hell. Do you see how important it is that we get who Jesus is correctly? And if we're wrong on this point, we're damned? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He. The word He is in italics in your Bibles. He literally said, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Which has led many scholars to conclude that Jesus was claiming that he was Jehovah. Because the name of Jehovah in Exodus 3.14 is, I am. Unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. There's another scripture from John 17.3. Jesus is in prayer to his Father on the night before he goes to the cross. And this is what he says. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and... Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus says eternal life is bound up with knowing not only God, but knowing Jesus Christ, the one the Father sent into the world. We must know him for who he is. If we are to receive eternal life, if we are to have our sins forgiven. So it's common for people to get this wrong, but it's tragically common because it has eternal ramifications. And that means that we need to be concerned to tell other people who the real Jesus is, the biblical Jesus, and not these misconceptions that people have. Now, what was the second question that Jesus asked them? He said, but who do you say that I am? Let's go ahead and read this passage from Luke 9, starting in verse 20. 
And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now in the Greek, the word you is emphatic. It reads like this, But you, who do you say that I am? I've heard you tell me what the multitudes are thinking, but what I'm really interested in is you, my own disciples, the one who have lived with me and walked with me for a couple of years now. What do you think? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, always the spokesman for the twelve, stands up and he says, You are the Christ of God. And if we were to also read the longer answer over in Matthew chapter 16, this is Peter's longer answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Now, Peter, or excuse me, Jesus immediately tells Peter, You didn't get that answer from man. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. In other words, no human person taught that to you. This was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And maybe that's the answer to our question why do so many people get so many wrong ideas? The Bible teaches that this must be personally revealed to you by God or you're never going to get it. And for this revelation to come to you, we're not talking about, you know, just sitting in Sunday school and someone telling you the right answer. We're, we're talking about the fact that God grips you with this answer and transforms you as you are, understand who Jesus is. He becomes real to you. Not just a historical figure, or someone wrote about on the pages of Scripture, but someone who is real and, and can change your life. So let's think about the answer that Peter gave that day. He said, you are the Christ of God. The word Christ means Messiah. Same word, really. The Messiah. Now, well, who is the Messiah? The Messiah was the anointed one. He was the one anointed by God to come and deliver God's people. He was the one that the, the prophets had been foretelling for hundreds of years. All the Old Testament was leading up to this individual who was going to come into the world. Jesus is that one. And remember when uh, Joseph was wondering whether he should divorce Mary privately? And the angel came to him and said that you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. In other words, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one who's going to come and deliver God's people. There were dozens and dozens of Old Testament texts pointing forward to this person who had come into the world. Now, Christ of God, that focuses on Jesus' mission. The anointed one come to deliver. Son of God, that focuses on his nature, his identity as God in human flesh. The Christ of God was this person that was prophesied for hundreds of years and the scriptures reveal that he would come as a prophet-like individual, as a king-like individual, and as a priest-like individual. First of all, he would be a prophet. Deuteronomy 18.21 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here God is speaking to Moses. And God says to Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you. And I'm going to put my words in his mouth. In other words, this person that God raises up is going to speak the very words of God just like Moses did. He's not just going to get it partly right. He's going to speak God's very words. And in fact, his words are going to be so important and so significant that if you will not follow his words, I myself am going to require it of you. Speaking of judgment. His words will bring judgment on those who will not listen and follow. Now, interestingly, when Peter gets up to preach in Acts chapter 3, following the healing of the paralytic at the temple, beautiful, remember that story? He preaches to the multitudes that gather. And in Acts chapter 3, he quotes that verse. He quotes Deuteronomy 18.21, and he applies it to Jesus of Nazareth. And he says that Jesus is that one that God sent to bless everyone by turning them from their wicked ways. He was the prophet that God would raise up. And of course, Jesus was a great and mighty prophet. When some people came to arrest him, they came back and came back empty-handed, and they said, never did any man speak the way that man speaks. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees would speak, but they were quoting Rabbi so-and-so and Rabbi so-and-so over here. And Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of old, such and such, but I say unto you. He spoke with peculiar authority. He was different than all the rest. In fact, after he delivered the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says this, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Yes, Jesus was that prophet. But he, this Messiah was also to be a king. Over in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, God speaks to David. And God says, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. So David, when you die, I'm going to take one of your descendants, I'm going to raise them up, and they are going to have a kingdom. In other words, they're going to be a king. Or Psalm 132.11. The Lord has sworn, sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. So here we have the words of God. David, one of your descendants is going to have a kingdom. One of your descendants is going to sit, sit upon your throne. And of course, that's exactly what took place. Jesus came into the world... And remember, remember when he was brought before Pilate? In John 18, verse 37, Jesus says this to Pilate, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And in verse 36 he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Do you remember the message that Jesus constantly preached? We've been talking about this week after week. The theme? The kingdom of God. That's what he preached wherever he went. It was always the kingdom. He was the king. His subjects, his disciples were part of his kingdom. He went about preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is the Messiah who is a priestly Messiah. 
And he was a prophetic Messiah. And here we learn that he was a kingly Messiah. In fact, when he died, Pilate had this written on his cross. Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now he was also a priest. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. To be a priest amongst the Jews, a person had to have a particular descent. They had to be descended from Levi, the tribe of Levi. Well, what tribe was Jesus descended from? Judah. He's from the wrong tribe. How can he be a priest? Well, we're told here he's going to be a different kind of priest. He's going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. A whole different kind of priesthood. Now, what was the job of a priest? He was to make sacrifice and then make intercession. He offered sacrifices for sins and then he interceded for the people. What did Jesus do? He came and he made sacrifice of himself, didn't he? Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was the priest. And his cross was his altar. Jesus came and made propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, he made an atonement. He laid down his life to cover the sins of those who would trust him. But once he did that, he ascended back to heaven and he continually makes intercession for the saints at the right hand of God Almighty. He made satisfaction for sin. He ascended to heaven and now intercedes for his people. So Jesus is a prophet to teach us. He's a king to rule us, but he's a priest to save us. Now that's not the only confession that was made by Peter that day. Peter also said that, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we have to understand what that means. Because all kinds of cults will tell you, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But they mean something different than we mean by that. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Well, let me just read to you the words of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. God became flesh. That's who Jesus is. God Almighty become a human being sharing in his person two natures, human and divine, at the same time. There was never a time that Jesus has not been God, but he assumed a human nature when he became a man. So when we say he's the son of the living God, we don't simply mean that he's the spirit, brother of Lucifer, someone created by Heavenly Father. And we don't mean he's Michael the archangel, someone created by God. We believe he is God. The second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God manifest in three different persons. So that's what we mean by Son of the living God. So who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who has come to deliver us from sin. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king, and He is God in human flesh. Folks, that's the biblical answer to who is Jesus. I hope you can fully embrace that in your heart and say, I believe that. I believe it because the Bible tells me that's the truth. Now, there is a sequel to this whole 
scenario. It's in verse 21 and 22. Let's take a look at that for just a minute. But Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, isn't that crazy? You think, why in the world does Jesus go around telling his disciples, Yes, you got the answer right, but don't tell anybody the right answer. Don't tell them that I'm the Messiah. And the reason he said that is simply because everybody else had the wrong idea of who the Messiah was going to be. And for them to go around saying Jesus is the Messiah is going to start revolts and political unrest, and they're going to try to come and force Jesus to become king. You see, their idea of the Messiah was this conqueror. This one that was going to come in as like a general, kind of like David, a kingly general, and destroy their enemies and free the Jews from any kind of oppression and make the, the Jewish people the, the top dog, the most important nation on the face of the earth. And this Messiah would then be the ruler, the king of this nation. See, they had it all wrong. They, they thought it was going to be political and military and physical. And all the time, they had one thing right. He was going to be a deliverer. But not an earthly, physical deliverer, a political deliverer. He's going to be a spiritual deliverer. One that would come and save from sin. Not from the Romans, but from their own black hearts. And so Jesus did come. And he did the work of the Messiah. But if they went out and announced to everybody, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, it's going to cause all kinds of trouble. Because they have the wrong idea of who the Messiah was going to be. Let me just close with this, this point I want to make. We see in this passage that Jesus wants his people to confess who he is. He came to his disciples and he wanted to know, who do you say that I am? He wants to do the same thing today. He wants the same thing from his disciples today. He's asking you and he's asking me, who do you say that I am? Notice the word say. Who do you say that I am? Over in Romans chapter 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. God requires a, a verbal confession of faith to be saved. Have you ever made any kind of verbal confession of your faith? Is there anyone here maybe who believes that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, but you've never verbally confessed that. Maybe you've never been baptized in water. You know, water baptism is a way for you to make a verbal confession of faith because before we baptize anybody, we always ask them to give us their testimony, their story of how they have become a Christian and what Jesus means to them. So it's one way. If you've never been baptized, but you believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart, then I encourage you to come and talk to me and we'll schedule that. We'll do a baptism. I love baptisms. They're exciting. But if you have been baptized and you are saved, do you, do you make confession of your faith? When's the last time you made confession of that? Who did you tell? It, it ought to be something that we're saying quite frequently. And we ought to be looking for ways to reveal the biblical Jesus. 
Not the crazy, mixed-up theories of the people. Let's take the biblical Jesus that we have just learned of in Scripture, and let's proclaim that to whoever we can. Let's ask God to give us opportunities, and then be bold to walk through those doors that He opens for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that You would quicken Your people today to love the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is and to accept Him for who He is, Lord of all. And that, Lord, we would be willing to surrender our lives to this King, to trust Him as our priest, and to be taught of Him as our prophet, and to be willing to lay down our lives for Him as the living Son of God. So, Lord Jesus, be glorified amongst Your people today and quicken us to be witnesses for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.